Welcome to the Kindness Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Riggs, coming to you again from my home office in quarantine, lockdown. This is part two of our of our panel of experts, of legal and financial experts. And today's episode, we're going to be learning more about guardianships. Um, what is a guardianship? Does my child need guardianship? Do they need just pow- do we need to just get power of attorney? What's the difference? Is there a partial guardianship? Like all of that stuff, we dive into that. And again, I just I learned so much from this. So I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. Um, I don't even have a child with a disability or sibling with a disability, and I just feel like I learned so much. So yeah, we hope you enjoy season one finale guardianships. We'll see you guys on the flippity for season two. Hope you stay well, and we'll see you soon. You're listening to the Kindness Warrior Podcast, a Down Syndrome of Louisville production, serving locally, sharing globally. We touched on this a bit, correct me if I'm wrong, but trust and guardianship are different as far as a trustee is the financial guardian and then the a guardianship is care right it's directing yep. the care yeah guardianship is in charge of the person a guardian stands in the shoes of a parent a trustee is in charge of whatever monies happen to be in that trust and those are totally separate things like oil and water yeah i think what that's often they, aren't the same they can be the same person so, how, separate asking the question of how that works from state to state if they are the same yeah. person yeah, when I say separate, I mean separate legal roles. The, the same person can be both guardian and trustee, but they're separate. You're wearing two different hats. So to get that conversation started, one of the questions we had, which I think is a very basic one, is how do we go about making sure an adult sibling has rights to our kiddos when we are gone? So where do you start? Yeah, who wants to go with that one? I would say, as a side note to that, before we get into that, um, it's kind of more on the caretaker perspective um, in terms of adult siblings to that have someone with um, a brother and sister with special needs um, is what's called a letter of intent. And I know Gordon um, does this, I don't know if Dan does, but it is designed to lay out all the information that your son or daughter with special needs, their future caregiver would need to essentially pick up exactly where you left off as parents should something happen to you. Um, I think that's the starting point for this question because um, oftentimes it's going to be a sibling of the individual with disabilities who is likely going to take over the care um, once the parents pass away. Um, so the letter of intent gives them all the information, and we're talking doctor's information, social worker's information, um, if they have social media accounts, what their routines are. Um, dietary restrictions, everything that they would need um, to pick up where you left off and kind of reduce the stress of the changes. Um, I'm sure all of you can um, attest to this. Um, Routines are key um, for individuals with disabilities. If the routine's off, um, you know, the whole, if you wake up and there's a slight change in routine, that sets the tone for the rest of the day. Um, So minimizing the stress um, and the anxiety that comes along with changing the caretaker um, role is 
crucial and the letter of intent allows you to do that because it eases the transition. Um, so that's the first part. Is there a sample letter of intent out there or categories to think about when you're I know I've got one. I know Gordon's got have, one. Okay. A, I figured there probably was. That would be helpful, mm -hmm. I think, to think about all the things you might not. Yeah. 38, 38 page template. Yeah. <laughs> but, but trust me, Very that, that seems daunting. <laughs> but trust me, it's well worth it yeah. to take the time to go through it, to have that information yep. somewhere where the next person that's uh, going to stand in your shoes. Um, has that information, it's, it's well worth it. Yeah. In addition to that, uh, the will is the uh, quintessential document uh, where one puts forth who is currently the guardian, meaning biological parent, adoptive parent, or uh, that type of thing, would put forth who they want to follow them uh, or follow the, uh, themselves and spouse, if appropriate. In other words, what's the, what's the uh, uh, you know, who's the bench? who's going to be guardian next, et cetera. And so uh, the will would be a legal document. The letter of intent is not legal, but it's, it's how you see things and how you would like them to be carried out. Uh, so it, it can certainly be uh, salient to the issue, but um, one would want to have a, um, a current will enforced, preferably one executed in, in your state of residence, meaning Kentucky or Indiana, and uh, put forth that way. Uh, that family member that's stepping up to be guardian goes to court with the will saying, I'm simply following through on the wishes of the deceased. Um, and then updating it because not unusual for people to come in and their will or estate planning documents are 15 or 20 years old. Or 30. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and things have changed, um, that, that's for sure. Either there's no special needs trust because they didn't exist, or in some cases, uh, uh, I'm sure Richard, who's been in practice for a while, would you know look at a special needs trust done 30 years ago, and I'm not saying it's invalid, but uh, we do so much more now uh, with them. So there's real value, even if you're sitting there thinking all my boxes are checked. If it's been a few years, it's a good idea to take a look. Right. Uh, one question that came up that I think I've heard more often uh, recently is if someone has guardianship, can a member still get their driver's license? Yeah, uh, driver's license, if a, if a person is declared disabled by the court and has a guardian appointed, that has nothing to do with the ability of the individual to get a driver's license. Our courts here uh, will allow a disabled individual to have a driver's license if they can prove they're able to drive. That means they have to pass a, a course where they're certified as as knowing the ins and outs of what's required plus a court has to actually approve that and so yes you can be disabled and have a driver's license i sit at traffic lights a lot and wonder about that <laughs> whether, whether that person had a course or not <laughs> i'm not naming names or anything I think that also came up, someone mentioned about self-driving vehicles and how that might change what a driver's license looks like. And My son's capable. really looking forward to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all are. When you apply for a driver's license, it says that you don't have any disability. Correct. So then you cannot apply for it if you have a disability. Correct. You will get a court order saying that you are allowed to apply. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, I just, in general, I just want to mention, we're talking about guardianship. Guardianship is always a, a court-monitored thing. Uh, a, a guardian is appointed by a court. Courts, uh, guardians answer to the court. 
their reporting requirements. Uh, just for yeah. yeah, just for a parent or a person to say, I want this person to be the guardian, it carries no legal weight. Courts will listen to that and say, yeah, well, I will appoint whoever the parent wants if it's in a will like Gordon mentioned. But the courts govern that. And in the case of driver's license, the same thing. Court. So when you go to court, you get guardianship at age 18 if that's appropriate what you choose to do then the issue of potential driving in the future, if it's not been addressed at that point, should be a part of the conversation with the attorney because you're going to court at that point. And does a provision need to be made for the future ability to get a driver's license? Great. And then the other question, which I think we'll all get into, is what are the options besides full guardianship? So you guys can all jump in on that. Yeah, that's what I was going to segue into if we um, didn't. Um, guardianship, I don't want to give off the impression that um, as soon as you're 18, you should be at um, the Office of Guardianship, um, you know, ready to apply. I always look at it as the last step um, because it is a serious proceeding. It is taking away the individual's rights. Um, so there are a series of steps we can go to, guardian, full guardianship being the last one um, that we should consider. Um, the first being um, supported decision making, so power of attorneys, um, healthcare surrogates, um, where the individual can name um, indivi uh, agents, usually mom and dad, um, to act as their power of attorney to help them with money, um, their healthcare surrogate to help them with medical decisions, um, and also to access their medical records under HIPAA. Um, that would be the first step we would look at if that's not a viable option then we can maybe look into limited guardianship, um, which is less restrictive from full guardianship, um, and also conservatorship, which is um, where an individual is basically a guardian of the individual's money. Um, the person still retains um, control over themselves, you know, personal decisions, day-to-day -day, um, decisions, but in terms of money, um, they would have the guardian for conservatorship. So again, we're in that limited situation. If that's not right, then we can look to full guardianship. Um, but full guardianship should never be the first option that we're looking at um, if you're doing it the right way. Um, there should be a series of steps, and if those aren't right for the situation, then full guardianship will be the last option. And those are some of the things that we're consistently working on here at, at DSL, with starting at age you know, 14 with the pre-employment training, that kind of thing. They're learning about self-advocating, learning how to you know, communicate, make decisions get jobs, that kind of stuff. Those, we work on daily at our Adult Development Academy as well. It's just making sure that they um, are capable of making decisions. That We've been working with L recently, and the, the health care made me think of that because they're learning. Um, they're actually being mock patients for um, those who are in training to be doctors at L. So the residents actually come in, and they um, do a mock appointment, and our members are the ones advocating for themselves and tell, you know, t answering their questions and telling them you know, how they feel about things which uh, again, we just want them to be aware that they can do that. It does, they don't have to automatically look at mom or dad or their guardian for, for guidance, so. Thank yeah, you. I'd like to add, I wholeheartedly agree with everything Matt said. Always explore the possibility of, of a power of attorney arrangement first. Uh, 30, 20 years ago, that wasn't even considered, but there are so many wonderful programs out here, this being one of the forefront uh, where where children are given so much more in the way of information, 
ideas, learning, and that they can make decisions for themselves. And I think that that's, uh, I don't know how to say it, that's, that's the most wonderful thing I've seen over the years. Just got a, somebody in the yes. Capacity. Yeah, yeah. It, it depends on capacity. Yeah, it depends upon. I'm sorry. It depends upon capacity. So, um, uh, executing a durable power of attorney uh, or a health care directive, um, an essential part of that is that the individual uh, who is declaring that and therefore signing it has the capacity to understand what they're executing. And so uh, an attorney like Matt or Richard will want to meet the individual and have a conversation with them and get an assurance that they understand. And so if they, if they have capacity uh, to understand, then that, that is a, certainly a strong indicator. Is that, that to understand medical decisions or understand? Understand what they're signing. In other words, that, that right, that they are, they're, they're extending the uh, authority to someone else to make decisions on their behalf um, and, and so forth. If, if they lack capacity to understand the document, then that's, that's an indicator it, 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 it is likely not the best direction. Um, so, and at the same time, capacity is one issue. Uh, another issue is uh, behaviors. And so if you have a situation where uh, there's unpredictable behaviors, um, there is uh, at times a loss of control, this type of thing, someone needs to be in charge. And I think what we're all saying is if that can be the individual in charge for themselves, great. If that's not possible, then as a parent, other options, including guardianship, should be considered. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead, Harish. This question that I asked before, that if you have a guardianship in another state, mm -hmm. Is it valid in Kentucky, or you have to start the process all over again? It's not that moving to Kentucky invalidates, but there is a uh, reporting process. Yeah, we do report annually to Georgia. Okay, all right. So that maintains the guardianship. Uh, my recommendation, and, and, and Matt or Richard may want to jump in, but if you're here in Kentucky to stay, then I think uh, there's value in doing a transfer of the guardianship because at some point, and it's not always predictable, something's going to happen to you. And basically what you're doing is, is thrusting upon whoever you have indicated to follow you as guardian, dealing with that whole process of an out-of-state situation. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, if you're here to stay, uh, you know, in other words, I'm here for two years for work and then I'm headed back to Georgia, totally different. But if you're here to stay, Sooner versus later, I would work with an attorney with regards to the release from Georgia of the guardianship and an acceptance in Kentucky. That's so, my thought. So you guys handle that process? Yeah, I would have the guardianship transferred to Kentucky. Um, like Gordon said, um, if you leave it, if your intent is to remain in Kentucky and you're living in Georgia, there will come a time where someone, whether it's you or the person that um, succeeds you as guardian, is gonna need to go to court. And that court's gonna mean going to Georgia um, so it would be easier and more efficient um, to just go downtown than to take the trip to Georgia um, so but yes you can have the guardianship transferred to Kentucky yeah 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 
So, so uh, another question on, on uh, that is the so once you have a guardianship, it cannot be revoked. Can you go can to lesser form of uh, like uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, limited? Uh, <coughs> um, can you give up your guardianship step? It's uh, you can theoretically but it's an uphill battle. Once full guardianship has been established, um, the court has said that this person um, is disabled, is incompetent to make decisions for themselves. That's why the guardianship was put in place to begin with. Um, in order to undo that, you've got to prove that that wasn't true, Go essentially. Reverse, yeah, and it's very difficult to reverse it. Um, so that's why at the start, we want to look into other options before we get to that point, mm -hmm. because we know once we're there, we're likely going to stay there. It's hard to get um, back. Okay. Um, thank you all so much. I want to make sure we have allow some time. Dan, did you have something to add? Well, I, d I just had one other issue to add to that, which Richard really helped me with, which is um, before moving to the full guardianship, my concern, even with a power of attorney, was what happens if my daughter, who's pretty um, self-confident picks up the phone and orders a lot of merchandise over the phone or online um, and maybe Richard if you could describe how you advise me on that I don't remember what I said <laughs> <laughs> the, the the issue of, of a power of attorney is that it's a voluntary arrangement uh, as, as Gordon and, and Matt said the guardianship is a, a declaration of disability and it takes rights away. The individual who's declared disabled does not have the right to pick up the phone and order things over, over the phone or make a contract or do those things. Contrast that with a power of attorney where if I give a power of attorney to someone, I still retain all of my rights to act. That's what Gordon was talking about earlier in the, in the capacity issue. Um, so if I have the right to act, I, you know, that means that the individual, like, like Dan's daughter Emily, could in theory be um, uh, convinced to do something that maybe is not in her best interest uh, or to do something very, very bad. I had a, a situation where a young man who um, actually had a different disability than Down syndrome, but that he had some of his school friends convince him to shoplift. Well, he ended up in the courts. And so, it, you know, it's possible and those things happen. Mm -hmm. The way I look at it, there's a kind of a balancing process. And the balancing is, what's the risk that, that your child is going to be in that situation? And for me, looking, I can only tell you about my son, Mike, because I can't speak for other people. but. When I faced that issue for my son, Mike, I realized that he's with me or my wife probably 97% of the time. The other 3% of the time, he's with somebody we know really, really well. So we figured the risk of him doing something or being <laughs> persuaded to do something uh, bad is very, very low. And so we felt confident that he was able to do a power of attorney as opposed to the guardianship because we thought that risk was fairly low. Uh, and that's going to be different for every person. You have to make that yeah. balancing act for each child. I can't, there's no way you can generalize. And on that note, that's exactly why I want to wrap up here in just a minute because I think 
the questions get more and more specific based on your child. And so um, I'm going to give each of you guys a minute, if you don't mind, to final thoughts and then maybe what services you can provide. And then I'm going to let you guys go to the t their tables with their information and then let you all go to who you'd like to speak to or speak to each other. Okay. So one minute, Matthew, you want to start? Um, <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you to Julie and Down Syndrome of Louisville for hosting this event. Um, this is very important information. Um, and thank you all for coming. Um, it's you would be surprised how many people are in your all shoes who have no idea about this information um, and their son or daughter um, is um, uh, is to their detriment um, because they don't put a plan in place um, and then they have to suffer those consequences down the road um, so coming out uh, learning about the information um, is the first step in getting a plan in place um, so I commend you all for that um, and in terms of services um, I do uh, state planning and special needs planning, um, which is just a fancy word for saying estate planning for families who have individuals with disabilities. Um, so special needs trusts, um, POAs, wills, things of that nature. Um, I've got brochures over there um, that talk about it and also the handouts on the types of special needs trusts, stable accounts. Um, so feel free to pick those up. Um, so I think that's it. Thank you. Dan? Uh, yes, thank you very much, Julie, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm a registered investment advisor. Um, I work with families, individuals on retirement accounts, IRAs, rollovers. I also do special needs trusts where those trusts are invested um, in investments that can be in a brokerage account. You can invest in any security that you would like. Uh, you can fund it with life insurance, um, and that's where I come in. Gordon? Okay. Um, I'm a certified financial planner. My practice is almost exclusively special needs, um, has been for about 22 years. Um, the focus is both legal, financial, government benefits. So there's a, a, we have a lot of expertise with uh, Social Security, SSI, SSD, uh, SSDI, adult child benefits, uh, disability benefits, survivor benefits, and so forth. Um, and um, uh, work uh, have worked for a number of years both with Richard and Matt for the legal side of things uh, but we have a process in place uh, a six-step process that we help families step-by-step step move through the legal step is step three there are five other steps and so a collaborative effort is really uh, what wins the day uh, so that all, all aspects are, are touched on literally if uh, one or a couple of the six steps are missed it just undermines even great legal work that may be done etc so I think um, I think what's key is really a thorough uh, a thorough process that makes sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed so that you come away with both peace of mind as well as a great deal of confidence um, that um, everything that needs attention has has received attention so um, yeah look forward to uh, meeting some of you thank you Richard uh, I do probably mostly special needs trust and special needs planning in my practice um, and probably most of you know who I am I've, the thing I really want to say is that it is just heartwarming to see that we are able to get to this point those of you with younger children um, we started out then syndrome of global some many 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 years ago it actually started on my conference table in my office and this is what we had in mind when we started Down Syndrome of Louisville. And so um, a big pat on the back to all of you out there for making this what it is. That's just really nice to see. Thank you. 
And thank you all for being here. Um, again, like I said, over the year, I've heard more and more people a part of our Down syndrome family who had this passion or these skills, and we want to make sure we highlighted all those people. Um, there's also Nathan Masingo in Southern Indiana as well, um, who is does this kind of thing, and he could not be here this morning. Um, but again, I want to give you all time, so if you guys want to go over to your tables, thank you all. This has been the Kindness Warrior Podcast, a Down Syndrome of Louisville production. To learn more about Down Syndrome of Louisville, visit our website, downsyndromeoflouisville.org. If you have questions for us, email kindnesswarriorpod at dsoflou.org. It's also in the show notes. Music was written and produced by Alex Stotts and Owen Eiler. This episode was produced and edited by Ethan Holstein and me, Martin Lindsay. Your host was Carly Riggs. Thanks for listening to the Kindness Warrior Podcast here at Down Syndrome of Louisville. We are serving locally and sharing globally.